Listeners, we need to talk about the holidays and divorce. It's a stressful time for families, especially when alcohol is involved, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink has teamed up with divorce and family law experts to bring you information you didn't know that can provide peace of mind during the holidays. For those of you who still haven't heard about Soberlink, it is the solution for you if you are going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol. Whether you are falsely accused of alcohol use or are concerned about your child's safety because of your other parent's alcohol use, Soberlink can help. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering a remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of its technology. Don't miss out on Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. Request it today at www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. So the main purposes of child support is really to provide food, shelter, you know, transportation, pay part of the cable bill, the electric bill, uh, clothing, those type of items, basic entertainment for a child. And I think people think that it includes a lot more. So it, what it doesn't include is someone's portion of private school tuition, extra you know, curricular activities. So I try to separate out what it actually includes and what the intention is versus what the quote extras are and what those mean. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we're joined again by attorney Eric Broder. You all remember Eric. He is one of my friends and colleagues from Connecticut, and he has been with us twice before. Eric was the, his first time guest spot was the hugely popular episode. I think everybody in the world has clicked on um, <laughs> Thinking about divorce, your top five FAQs answered. Um, and then Eric also joined us for the special compilation double episode of most memorable cases. And he had a definitely memorable case. So go uh -huh. back and listen to both of those. But again, Eric is joining us um, from Connecticut. Little background, he is a family law attorney. Um, he is the co-founder of Connecticut's premier matrimonial boutique firm. They're located in Westport and Greenwich now, right, yes. Eric? Correct. Yep. yep. Um, and it's called Broder, Orland, Murray, and Damati. I know Broder, I know Orland, I know Murray, and I know Damati. They're all fantastic, mm -hmm. as are the rest of the attorneys there. In fact, this is my favorite firm to refer uh, cases to, as I always say. But Eric, let me just say thank you so much for joining me again today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's always fun. I look forward to this. So thank you, Susan. Yeah, well, I was just, it's funny. I said to someone the other day, um, being a, a divorce attorney isn't necessarily 
a fun job, right? No. Fun isn't the word no. that we get to say, but being That's on true. a podcast, having a podcast, the yep. one of the reasons I like to do it is it's it's fun and it's really helpful. And we go way back. I remember being adversaries. That's how long we <laughs> fun adversary to have a fun, a good one to have. A straight, yes. an honest person. It made it made life pretty easy. Started settling cases and podcasting, so we lost it. <laughs> exactly. And it's funny because don't you remember those days when we would go to you'd go to court and you'd be in the hallway with your client who's, you know, all geared up for litigation and yep. you'd be there with yours. And then the two of us would be like, hey, Eric, how are the kids? Yep. How's the <laughs> wife? What's going on? And yep. the clients yep. are like, wait a minute. We should hate <laughs> each other. No, 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 no. No, That's guess right. what, folks? Most of right. most of us like each other. That's right. That's right. And Eric is definitely in that category. And that's one of the reasons why I asked him to come back on. We talked a little bit about the fact that he was coming back on in the memorable cases episode because Eric's coming back to do one of those like really, you know, basic divorce topic episodes that you all are always asking questions about. And we're really going to do like the ultimate primer on child support here today, because this is something that is confusing for people, which there's a good reason for that. It's, you know, it's not something that you deal with every day in your lives. And so I asked Eric to come on and basically talk to you all like he might talk to a prospective client or to one of his clients. So just a little insider, you know, golden nugget here for you all. You're basically getting a very expensive divorce attorney's <laughs> It's not divorce advice, it's not divorce advice, but you're get, you know, Eric's going to be able to give you that, you know, that every attorney has a way of explaining things to clients. And that's what, you know, I think Eric does especially well when he's talking to clients, when he's been counsel in mediations that I've been a part of. And so we're going to do a little bit of that today as we talk about child support. Yes. So, you know, let's just start with, say you are sitting in your office like you mm -hmm. are now for those who are sitting or watching this on the YouTube channel or in your conference room or on a Zoom, um, as you might meet with clients yeah. these days. And you're talking to your client for the first time about child support, bringing up the topic. How do you lay set the table? How do you tell them about it? I mean, the first thing I do is I talk about what it includes. There's a big misunderstanding of what the recipient of child support has to use those funds for. So really, the sole purpose or the main purposes of child support is really to provide food, shelter, you know, transportation, pay part of the cable bill, the electric bill, uh, clothing, those type of items, basic entertainment for a child. And I think people think that it includes a lot more. So it, what it doesn't include is someone's portion of private school tuition, extra, you know, curricular activities, be it, you know, ballet, soccer, the trumpet, whatever it may be, um, unreimbursed medical expenses, you know, braces, co-pays even, those types of things. So I try to separate out what it actually includes and what the intention is versus what the quote extras are and what those mean. Now, it, in every state, different states have different rules, and I'll kind of touch on Connecticut throughout this versus maybe New York, because even though physically I'm, you know, 10, 15 minutes from the border, I can tell you that the laws are dramatically different on child support. So it's illustrative for other different people in different states to hear about it. So always check state to state with an attorney there. I'll give a lot of the overview and basics, but there are some specifics. But the first thing I do is I talk about what it's intended 
to include. So if you want to feed your child the most organic, expensive food and buy, you know, crappy clothes, so be it, um, you know, it's up to you to determine how to spend that money. Well, and that's a really good point that you're making there. And I know this is something that actually causes sometimes some conflict between co-parents, right? Because one parent is paying child support to the other parent and that parent then pretty much gets to spend the money as they see fit, right? They don't have to give an accounting of where every penny goes. And that's hard. Yeah, definitely. It is. And there's a lot of accusatory remarks we get. She's not spending it on this or he's not spending it on that. And why do I have, you know, I ride by all the clothes and then my spouse doesn't return the clothes. And you get a lot of that. Um, we hear that all the time. Um, I keep buying socks and underwear and I'm don't, you know, you're better off buying more socks and underwear than calling your lawyer about it necessarily. But um, those are things we get, you know, a lot of calls about. But what's really important to know is the extracurricular activities people think initially they're going to have to pay for that. And when they hear they don't have to pay for those items, they sort of get a relief that they're not covering travel across, for example, from those items. So I always tell people to think about and, and to budget properly. I mean, you can utilize that money. No one's going to say, oh, you have to account for what if there's three kids and you're at home, 75% of the electric bill or the, the cable bill, you don't have to pay it that way. Um, yes. right. It's all commingled. It's all in the pot. We just think that you're going to, this is enough money for your children. And I can tell you um, in the state of Connecticut and like many states, we have state driven guidelines. So whether you live in the nicest, and I'll talk about the amount right now a little bit, the nicest part of the state, the guidelines apply the same way there as they do in the, in the most poor rural type areas in Connecticut. And in a lot of other states as well, there is no deviation criteria because you live in a town like Darien or Greenwich or Westport down here versus living in some other other towns. But what's interesting is the way the amount is determined is a few things. We have a chart in Connecticut and you plug the numbers in and it spits out how much child support would be based on your income, your spouse's income and the number of children you have. And that sounds great. Pretty easy. Oh, we have three kids and we go and we look at the line and go to the bottom and that's it. Right. That covers in Connecticut, the guidelines count up to $200,000 a year in combined net income. Now, for a lot of people, that certainly more than covers it. And the number is what the number is. But for other families, it doesn't. And then there's some extrapolation formula that the courts have the right to put into place. So it gets a little more negotiated once those numbers get higher. Other states like New York do straight percentages. I believe if I'm correct, it's 17% of net income if you have one child, 25% if you have two children, and then it works its way up. But if you have multiple children, it doesn't decrease percentage-wise. So in Connecticut, if someone's getting $3,000 a month child support with three children, when a child ages out, which I'll touch on in a minute, it doesn't reduce to 2000 and then reduce to 1000 So it does reduce, but it doesn't reduce as substantially because you still have to cover that house. You still have to pay for the, the electric bill doesn't change much whether there's two or three kids in the house, right? The food might go down a little bit, but a lot of the other expenses stay. The mortgage or the rent stays the same. Um, the landlord doesn't say, oh, you have one less kid living there. We'll knock your rent down a little. So people should be aware of the decreases aren't as dramatic as you might anticipate. 
Right. And I think it's important. Um, there's several things in there that I want to make sure people understand. So let me go back to the guidelines for a second, yep. because I think this is some place that people get confused because the guidelines are a product of the state legislatures, right? This, yes. The legislatures get together. That means our lawmakers. And they come up essentially with this formula. And you called it the plug and and output. I call it yeah. the plug and chug method, right? Yeah. You know, you, you plug in numbers, which are basically income numbers, yep. and it chugs out a child support figure. Right. And, you know, th the reality for most families is that figure is a function of income, not a function of what it costs to raise children. <laughs> That's right. Right. And so that's, I think, the first frustrating aspect for many people who perhaps are not living in, in Fairfield yep. County, where you and I practice, yep. uh, where, you know, incomes tend to be quite high for people with who are, you know, on a paycheck to paycheck type budget or even doing better than that. It still doesn't mean that child support is a figure that's going to equate to what it costs to raise a child in that area, does it? That, that's Exactly right. It's it's probably never enough. I mean, never enough certainly is the complaint I get from a lot of the recipients of child support that it, that it's not enough. Um, and we hear it with at all different levels. Actually, of course, it's all relative. There's also though where even though we have guidelines that numbers I talked about that extrapolate beyond, there's also a point on the other end where enough is enough. And I, yes. I, I share a little bit of a war story. I, I don't like doing that all the time, but this is really applicable here. I was once before a judge and this person had tens of more money than that person ever could have needed and had to pay child support and said to the judge, I will pay whatever you think is appropriate for me to pay. And the judge was quizzically looking at counsel and called <laughs> up to, to the bench and said, well, how much does one 14-year-old boy cost in $5,000 a month? And he said, Let's settle this case. $5,000 a month is beyond what this kid can eat, be clothed in. I don't care what kind of house he lives in or she lives in. It shouldn't be, you know, that expensive. So they're kind of, that judge, although it's not a law, gave us sort of a cap to say there's a point where enough's enough. Now that was about 10 years ago. So maybe things have changed a little bit and that judge might say a little more higher number today. But I always point at the fact that just because someone makes tons and tons of money doesn't mean the child support goes up exponentially as well. Right. Well, and that's, those are those cases I've had this conversation. Actually, I just had this conversation with a client recently um, where when people are in these ultra high net worth income stratospheres, and, and we're talking, you know, quite a bit of money, that there is a, a dueling sort of concept of it shouldn't be a windfall exactly. to one parent, right? That they're the, the parent who the children are with primarily, uh, that they are getting a you know, extra large amount. But you and I both know, because I know you represent clients in often in those higher mm -hmm. net worth areas, there are expenses that sometimes these families face that other families might not face. This, I, I'm just the case I'm dealing with, the, the security for the minor children. So mm -hmm. meaning bodyguards, et cetera, wow. yeah. because of the potential yeah. kidnapping threat, et cetera. Yes. And so they have to travel private because it's safer. I know this sounds like other people's problems and, and right. you know, rich, 
but that is a that's something that we had to bring into that conversation, right? Yeah. So there is some when you get into the higher regions of income, there's more of a practical yeah. approach exactly. and need base to it, I think. Yep, that those special needs will get looked at, which brings a common question. I have a special needs child whose expenses are in excess of what a, I don't like to use the word normal child, but someone who doesn't have certain specific needs. So those are issues that the child support guidelines directly may not address. However, the add-ons that I talked about a little while ago, which I want to talk more about, would address. So when it comes to covering things like unreimbursed medical expenses or needs for special needs children, you know, tutors, those type of items, Generally, that'll be a function of a percentage split based on the party's incomes after the payment of alimony, for example. So it might be that it's a 60-40 split or a 50-50 split. It depends on what those numbers work out to be. For Connecticut, they can order payment of unreimbursed medical expenses, those type of insurances. They can't order the payment of extracurricular activities, though. So when it comes to... I want to be on the travel baseball team or I want to ride horses and it's $10,000 a year. The parents have to agree on that activity in agreements where we settle cases, which happens 95 plus percent of the time. We usually agree on what that distribution would be. Um, or in a high net worth case, someone might say, I'm going to pay a certain amount of child support, but I'll cover all the extras. Those are different ways to resolve those issues, but it is a little bit of a mistake. In fact, people think, Oh, my child is on the swim team. He should be paying for that or she should be paying for this. That has to be an agreed upon add-on. One point I want to bring out, I get asked this all the time, so I preempt it, is health insurance. Who has to pay health insurance and yes. how to impact the guidelines? Well, in Connecticut and a lot of other states, when we take someone's income, we reduce it by the health insurance premiums before we plug it into the guidelines. So it really accounts for the health insurance of that child. Um, and it's always, it's not as expensive as people think for the children. It's usually us older people that it really, yeah. <laughs> well, but it does, hey. But no. hey, sorry, I'm me, me <laughs> on this side of the right side of the screen, but it certainly does, uh, does come into play and it is accounted for when dealing with issues of health insurance. Yeah. And, and the health insurance, and then those unreimbursed medical expenses that you were just talking about. And in fact, many States, including, Connecticut, also the child support guidelines will provide for percentages of uh, work-related child care as yep. well. Do you want to explain that? Good point. Yes. Yeah. So if somebody is a recipient of child care and needs to hire a child care provider, a recipient of child support, child support or a child care provider during work hours, that could also be divided 50-50, 60-40. It's a mandatory add-on. You can't just have someone in the house, you know, go out to dinner with your friends and pay for that hour that way. Um, so, yeah, so work-related child care, usually it's after-school care or slams in the morning for care. Um, that comes into play, and that's then a separate add-on that's payable. And a lot of times to address those things, these add-ons, if you're listening and thinking about, well, I've got all these activities and the copay and the, and the, the braces and, and the child care, it becomes sort of a tennis match of bills going back and forth. We avoid that a lot and we put together a fund. And I love this. I can tell you, yeah, I know in all the years of doing this, it is probably the more foolproof way of resolving these issues. Basically, we set up a joint bank account where both parties are signatories to the account and they can only use it to write checks or now or debit or credit card use. 
Can't take cash out of those accounts. Let's say we put, I'll make up a number, $10,000 in the account the day of the divorce. And it gets down to $2,000. Each party has to replenish it another $5,000. And each party can use that credit card and debit card to pay for things that are agreed upon. So the sign-up fee for you know flag football comes in or the copay at the doctor's office for $20 comes in. You use the credit card, debit card, and it's all online so both people can see it. So this avoids really the, the horror of I paid for this on this day. I didn't agree with that on that day. It, it is really one of the, yeah, five years afterwards, people come in with receipts and I go, it's not worth it. It's not worth paying our fee to get you back less. Um, so I love the idea of a fund. And I often put language in and something really that helps is if there's a dispute in the fund, don't go back to court. Go to an arbitrator. Let somebody else determine whether you misspent the funds. And if someone misspent the funds, the loser pays the winner's fees. And I put that in there. honest. And the best example I can provide is, so I'm in the Northeast, so there's a lot of skiing that goes on up here. And if your child's going on a YMCA ski trip and it's a $150 fee, pay for it out of the fund. But if you're taking your child skiing, you can't use the fund to pay for the lift ticket and the lessons and the rentals. So that's the differentiation between what you're doing with your child versus what an individual activity would be outside of your you know, purview with the child. That's a, such a good point. And I'm so glad you raised the idea of this children's account or children's yep. fund. Um, it has saved so many families so much, I mean, just the accounting of who paid for yep. what, yep. when they had to go back and forth. And I mean, it's just go back everyone and listen to um, the nightmare of shared expenses episode with Marco um, from Decomply. I'll link to it in the show notes. That's going to, I mean, Eric and I have both seen him, right? The client who comes in with the box full of all the receipts with the, you know, Excel spreadsheets over four years, right? Yeah, we're both getting actually like PTSD over this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's they're a nightmare. But it's a, it's a good point for people to understand. And, and I'd love to touch on this because I'm sure you have a way of talking to your clients about this. Um, you know, as you said, in Connecticut and in many states, extracurricular activities. So all the things that your children enjoy, their sports, their, their you know, all the things, the trips, the school events, those cost money. It costs real money for your kids to participate in that. That is not generally what child support is for. And since it can't be court ordered, it means that you and your ex, your, your co-parent are left in this limbo in some ways of having to come to agreements on this on an ongoing basis. And unfortunately, and I know there's a tension between cost and what kids want to do, but the kids are the ones who get caught up in the middle of all this, oh, yeah. yep. right? So how do you talk to your clients about this? I always say less communication post-divorce about financial issues is best. So what this does is it eliminates the trading of receipts. And really, it puts the focus on the child and what he or she wants to do. Now, if there's a difference between I want my child to play on the you know basketball team at the rec center that plays on Tuesdays versus I want him to play on the AAU team that plays you know nine days a week and travels over the place, that's a little bit different. But when it comes to paying for those activities, the reason less communication is better is you're only going to argue over. I didn't agree to that. I only agreed to this type of baseball bat, not that type of bat. I mean, these are calls you get from people, which I, I did not go to law school to fight over sports equipment and which is the appropriate sports equipment piece 
for a child. Um, and that's this avoids that. And it also avoids the I'm mad at you for a different reason. Oh, well, you know, she's got a boyfriend. I don't want he's taking her out on these nice trips. She doesn't need my eight hundred dollars in re- reimbursement that I'm supposed to pay in 30 days. Let her take me to court and hire a lawyer. That type of stuff doesn't happen as much by having this fund. And yeah, the fund, everyone always asks what happens when we're done and the children are you know, out of the house. Whatever's left over, you split 50-50 or stick in a college account or something. Right. Well, and good point, right? Yeah. At least in Connecticut, but many states, your children will age out of child support at a certain age. Many of the states, it's 18 or graduation from high school, um, unless there's other extenuating circumstances. But then you have the issues of college and the expenses of college. And I'll frankly tell you all, as the stepmom to 24-year-olds, your kids always are going to need some financial support in their lives, right? Hi, listeners. It's Susan. So I get a lot of outreach from you with a lot of questions and a lot of people who are just feeling either stuck because they don't know where to move forward next in their divorce. Um, They don't know what professionals they should be hiring or what process they should be using to approach their divorce, or they just need some help strategizing a path forward. Well, in order to help, what I've done is I've created a strategy session with Susan. Um, I'm offering a limited number of one-hour strategy sessions each week, and in those, we will spend some time looking for some clarity around your situation and help in developing a plan that's going to move you and your divorce forward. So if you want to book one, go to divorcebeyond.com backslash strategy with Susan, and you'll get on my calendar and we'll get you moving forward. So again, that's divorcebeyond.com backslash strategy with Susan. Stay tuned for more from attorney Eric Broder, who breaks down all the ins and outs of child support and shares some great tips on making agreements that will keep you out of court on this issue. You lose your job. Don't wait. Child support is only modifiable in most states, and particularly Connecticut. It's only retroactive to the day that you serve a modification of child support document. So if you lose your job January 1st and you wait till April 1st, you're not going to get credit for those three months. If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's show with Sadie Marie, the host of Sadie's Divorced and Happy podcast with a delicious look at your honeymoon after divorce. Probably the biggest gift that my honeymoon stage gave to me is it showed me just how happy I could be. And now we return to today's show. Let me ask you a question because I know we both see this all the time. We've been talking about child support sort of from that perspective of right now in the divorce or at the time of divorce. But we know that people's lives, I mean, often if you've got young children, child support's going to go on for years and years. People's lives don't stay static. Children's needs don't don't stay static. And people don't stay in the same jobs, their incomes. What happens when things change? So child support is always modifiable as a matter of public policy. You can't alimony. You can agree no matter what happens, I'll pay my ex-spouse, you know, a thousand dollars a month, whatever. You cannot make child support non-modifiable for the exact reason you stated. Things always change and children's needs change. Our children could have God help, you know, physical and mental issues that require more attention or 
the inability of a parent to work. Also, people age out. So I'm going to start with a simple age out example and work my way backwards. In Connecticut, child support is over for a child when one of two things happens. Either the child is age 18 and graduates from high school. So if the child turns 18 in April of his or her senior year, it goes through June, I guess, of senior year. Or whenever that child turns 19. So if a child turns 19 in March of or April of senior year, it ends. What that happens then is there's a step down if there's other children, which we talked about. In other states like New York, it goes to age 21, where Mm -hmm. it goes a little bit longer. Now, the first and most common question I get is, wait a minute, my 18-year-old just went off to college, but that kid is home five months out of the year between spring break, Christmas break, and the summer, and I'm not getting any more child support. That's right, in Connecticut, you're not. And that child is eating plenty of food and doing all the same things that child did a year earlier when he or she was a senior in high school. So that's one of the points about Connecticut that's different from our neighboring state. In New York and some other states I know of, you get a decrease in child support while that cl- that child is off in college because you're not paying for food for seven, eight months of the year and, and the like. In Connecticut, though, it just completely ends when that child turns 18 and graduates from high school. So it's a very big difference. The other point is someone's job changes, income changes. If there's a substantial increase or decrease, and I'm going to say what that means in Connecticut, and it's not too dissimilar in other states. I always, it's got to be at least a 15 to 20% growth in someone's income or decrease in someone's income for it to be worthwhile to try to reduce the amount of child support or increase the amount of child support that's going to be paid. So that's sort of the magic threshold. But if one spouse is earning a lot of money, you know, say a few hundred thousand dollars and the other spouse doesn't work. And now that other spouse is making 50 or $75,000. Well, that represents a 20% plus change. You can then come back to seek to reduce the child support obligation. So it's always floating. One important thing I didn't mention with age that is really important to know and vastly different is when a child has special needs in Connecticut that are significant enough that that child needs really a lot of home care, for example, then child support can go to age 21, but it ends. It's over, done. I know in California from a case I was involved in, it can go period. and Forever. So some of the ages of special needs children, that can be a real, and it's a real burden. A 22-year-old with substantial special needs is different than a 21-year-old. And I guess the state thinks that the two parents are going to take care of that child, no matter what the circumstances are after that child turns 21. That's not always the case. No, sadly, it's it's not. And I, in fact, we have an episode coming up on divorce for parents with children with disabilities and special needs, because I'll, I'll be honest, this is a very under-recognized area, and, and it's something that uh, is increasingly becoming an issue yeah. for so many families. And it's it's very intractable. And I don't think in all places the law has caught up. As you said, nope. in Connecticut, um, you know, they can extend child support to 21. California, it can go on ad infinitum. Um, if that child is alive and has those special needs or disabilities, but there's a lot more that goes into it. So stay tuned for that episode. Uh, But that's another great point uh, that you've made, Eric, is, is just to point out that there are sometimes 
pretty big differences in what a state law state's laws provide yep. for when it comes to parents' responsibilities and obligations to their children. And the one I wanted to point out, because you said, you know, in, in um, Connecticut, you won't get any more child support once your children age out of child support at 18, 19, graduation from high school, that whole description you gave. Whereas in other states, it can be extended like New York. But Flip side of that, Connecticut does allow the court to make orders about the cost of college and states like California, where I practice, once kids age out of child support, there are, there's no ability of the court to order any of the expenses of college. So it's, it's a, a little up in the air all the way around, right? Yeah, Connecticut, um, unlike other states, allows the courts to order the parties to pay up to the cost of University of Connecticut in stores, its main campus which is around $35,000 a year in state tuition now. The court will look at their then existing or the financial circumstances at the time. So if you have an eight-year-old, you might not decide now who's going to pay what. And if you can't figure it out when that child's 17, you come back to court and the court can say, all right, mom pays 15,000, dad pays 10,000, and the child gets loans for the rest, right? Or they split the first $35,000 and that's it. I, I think some of the tendency is, oh, if Dad, we're paying child support of $1,000 a month. He doesn't have to pay now. Well, that's $12,000 a year he has free to pay towards college the following year. It all sounds great if the child goes to UConn, but when the child gets into, you know, we have Yale here, which is, you know, $80,000 a year, the court can still only order up to $35,000 of that amount. And a lot of these things, though, just to put it in perspective, when we resolve cases, and, and you do more than anyone, we start taking these items like college, extracurricular activities, unreimbursed medical expenses. And sometimes we kind of parse them out and give somebody a little more responsibility. Sometimes someone has a little, it's a little easier to swallow me paying for college or me paying for sports or activities versus giving him or her more money, right? So at the end of the day, it, everyone benefits the same. If I pay Susan, you know, $1,000 a month, but instead of doing that, I pay $12,000 a year of all of the kids' activities, there's no difference between giving you the money. And if I did the math right, and you paying half, <laughs> maybe it was 24, but of you paying half of those expenses. So we utilize those in, in a way to be creative in settling cases. There's also end dates, right? Certain activities, there might be travel soccer, and then that ends once a kid's in high school or decreases because they're in the high school season and it's less expensive to play a high school sport than all these premier level sports. So things that way, it's a little more understandable and someone easier to swallow um, paying kids expenses, maybe than paying an ex-spouse who you're angry. Yeah. Well, and there's a something I want to point out here in just what you said there. There's a huge benefit to clients of having an attorney like Eric who deals with negotiating these issues all the time, right? And and these issues for children and has that ability to know creatively how to make these you know, negotiated agreements work for everyone. Because yep. as he said, most cases settle more than 95% do. But when you have an attorney who knows how to be creative and get that job done and knows the issues they're dealing with, I think you just saw what that looks like as Eric was explaining that. It makes it a lot easier. And, and by the way, for the recipient in that example, to know that I don't have to write a check in January for this activity or March or an unexpected check it gives you more predictability on how to manage your finances too, because you're not worried about making all those expenses. So yes, we always try to be creative and look at the benefit to both sides, frankly, of doing that. 
I love it because it's kind of a mediation mindset, right? Finding right. the third way, not the you win right, or right. you win, but that's we true. both win um, yep. t- kind of approach. And that's, you know, who won in that all that I have to say, who wins is the kids, the kids. Yeah. They get to do their activities. Mom and dad or mom and mom and dad and dad know how these things are going to be paid for. And and I suspect something else that you do, Eric, when you negotiate, you know, settlements and, and divorce agreements is sort of talk about things that parents can pre-agree to, like activities. Yes. You know, we know that Billy is a hockey prodigy yep. and yep. that it's likely he may want to do travel hockey, which, as we both know, costs, <laughs> what, fifteen, yeah. dollars $20,000 right. a year. Right. So you can talk about some of those things ahead of time and yep. put that right in your agreement, right? Exactly. And we do that a lot. It avoids the it avoids a fight later, especially with educational issues, whether it be, you know, college prep, you know, tests, SAT, ACTs, or tutors. We, we build that right in there. Now, there are, certain, there are issues where people can't afford those things, right? So it's a matter of how do we budget these things out? Sometimes we'll put maximum amounts or minimum amounts that you can agree on or max, just to avoid somebody, I'll agree to ice, ice hockey, right? Ice hockey can be exponentially expensive. And we want to make sure that maybe someone limits the amount of responsibility they have for an activity if they can't afford it. So we'll right. get into the budgeting as well. Now, let me, I can't let you go without asking you for a little insight on the impact of the amount of time the children are with each parent has on child support. And I know this varies widely by state, but I'd love to get just a little layer of information in here about timeshare and its impact. So one of the deviation criteria, how you can go off what the guidelines say, the amount to reduce the amount is if it's a 50-50 parent. It doesn't automatically say, I don't have to pay child support. Now, if two people are earning exactly the same amount of money, or within close range, it's probably going to be no child support. Just because someone earns a lot more doesn't mean that the person earning less or not working doesn't get child support if it's 50-50. It just might not be the presumptive amount that the guideline spits out, as we talked about before. I'm finding more and more that since COVID, particularly where parents have the ability more often to work from home where they didn't, and judges tend to be looking, hey, if kid can be with both parents equally, why not? Um, it's impacting the amount of child support that somebody is paying because now they have the child 50% of the time versus maybe 30 or 40% of the time. To the, to the contrary, people think, well, my spouse doesn't have our child or our children at all, you know, works all week, gets the children maybe every other Friday to Sunday. That's a minuscule amount of time. I should get more, but it doesn't really work that way. For whatever reason, it doesn't, there's no magic number of days. And if, but, but I always get the, I'm not going to pay child support because I have the kids half the time. And that's not true if indeed your income is unbalanced from the recipient. Right. And that's a good point. And I do want to say for our listeners who are in states like California, where as a part of the plug and chug formula we were talking about, the amount percentages of parenting time go right into the formula. That's about half our states. 
that's going to affect, those percentages will affect the, the final numbers that come out in the bottom, essentially the same way Eric's talking about, but in Connecticut and states that don't put the percentages into the guidelines, it's, it's a further calculation in California and those states, it's a part of the calculation. But I do want to say, and I, you know, and I say this to clients all the time, I, I, I'm wondering if you do, you know, do not let your, issues over paying child support and the amount of child support affect your discussion about what's best for your children in timeshare. Because yeah. frankly, the percentages don't result in no. huge swings in child support, do they? Not, not at all. I mean, there are, I didn't, can't tell you the exact numbers, but someone's income or time fluctuating $20,000, $30,000 a year, if it knocks it $70, $80 a month, I'd be surprised. Or $100 a month. And at the end of the day, don't spend, you know, that tens of thousands of dollars fighting on an issue that's going to win you $1,200 a year. I mean, it's silly. The numbers are really compact within the child support guidelines, especially the more you make, the more compact they are. So don't, don't fight about it. But it leads me to one thing, which is maybe sort of the end of child support in a sense is enforcement. And I can tell you that there's one thing, one knock on judges, they don't, they don't, I say punish people for failing to provide documents in divorce cases, you know, missing a lot of dates and being late with discovery. But I can tell you when it comes to child support, judges take it really seriously. Don't play games. Pay your child support on time, no matter what. I've seen, you know, the proverbial toothbrush being held up in court by judges sometimes when someone screws around and doesn't pay child support. If you can't afford to pay child support, you lose your job. Don't wait. Child support is only modifiable in most states, and particularly Connecticut. It's only retroactive to the day that you serve a modification of child support document. So if you lose your job January 1st and you wait till April 1st, you're not going to get credit for those three months. And not only is that arrearage going to increase, but it's going to increase with interest and it never goes away. When you go to, if you file for bankruptcy, child support obligations don't go away. There are people you hear about it and people laugh. Paying, they say, I'm paying child support for my 40-year-old. Well, that's because when your 40-year-old was 12, you didn't pay child support. Right. They stopped paying. Right. And they had to chase you and chase you. And if you can't afford to pay child support, file that motion. And the, uh, the trick is this. This is what a judge is going to want to look for. Did that person try to find employment consistent with their prior employment that they lost? So I there are judges that hand out sheets that say, name of, of date of interview. Job search. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Show me your job search. It's a it's a form. Um, I tell people to save every email, every resume they posted on Indeed or Monster or whatever it is, because you've got to show the judge that you made a real, real effort, not just a nice try effort. But when it comes to child support, a real, real effort to find employment. So judges take that probably more seriously, definitely than anything else on the financial side of things. Child support enforcement. In fact, we have a division in Connecticut that handles child as do a lot of states. One thing with child support too, is it never offset it against something else. Because people, we see people do this all the time where they owe $300 that week in child support, but the other person owes them 50 bucks, so they only pay 250. Do not offset your child support payments. Always make sure it's in the full and complete amount and do the $50 reimbursement separately because far too much time has been spent in court trying to figure those things out. But and and your other point is is important as well because it's the majority of states I believe have that same rule. Yeah. 
is that you can only be retroactive on a request to reduce your child support and your alimony in many states to the date that you basically give notice to the other party legally that you're seeking that downward modification. So if you're not understanding what we're saying, reach out to Eric, reach out to your local attorney to get information on that because that is a very critical part if you've lost your job or your your income has gone down precipitously, which has been happening. I mean, we're going into another, unfortunately, it looks like another recession. So we're going to see this for people. And don't be late. There's no excuse anymore. I still hear some people say it was postmarked. I'm like, what year are we the in? check it's, is in the mail. It, 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 that doesn't work. Okay. There's direct deposit, wire transfer, what direct is Venmo the carrier pigeon. Just pay your Venmo child it. support. But just set your bank account for the first of the month for whatever the amount for a thousand dollars a month and boom, that's it. And make it go because no one's gonna buy that excuse. Yeah. So, yeah. A lot of those 20 year ago arguments um that I remember bringing the envelopes to court and showing the judge the postmark that the eighth, it was due on the first. We don't get to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm even older than you, so I remember. I mean, yeah, I I remember all of this. Do you remember being in the hallway with a calculator and a pencil trying to do the child support guidelines that way on a bench? Yeah, now so, it's, my, it's an app. Yeah, thank God now everyone we do these things. Yeah, so we do them yeah, on our phones. Well, exactly. Eric, that's I mean that is so much fantastic information for my no, listeners on such a you know confusing topic. We realize yeah. that this can be you know very hard and confusing for people, but that was a wonderful you know layer of information. If people want to know more, if they're in Connecticut, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, they can simply call our office. Um, you know we're. It's on our website, but 203-222-4949. We are, you know, we're always happy to help take calls. Our email is even great because we can set up a time to talk about a quick question or something if it's on you know, the guidelines or anything. And if it's another state, um, I have a lot of you know, referral sources in other states. I'm happy to pass on if I can be of assistance that way. Um, I can't speak to other states specifically, of course, as Connecticut, but I definitely have some general knowledge and understanding. So thank you. Yeah. No, well, thank you for joining us. You know, I'm going to have you back on in 2023 I'm in. and I'm uh, we'll, yeah. we'll come up with another fun topic. I'm actually thinking just so you can start thinking of your stories. All right, I'm all right. going to do dating advice from divorce attorneys is going to be the next compilation episode. So you can start thinking of your best relationship advice um, after having been a top divorce attorney for so many years. <laughs> I can do more of the don'ts than the do's for sure. Yeah, well, don'ts are just as good as do's. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So um, gladly. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.